Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with heading for $1 trillion. Shares of NVIDIA soaring after a record-breaking quarter in what could be the single biggest market cap gain of all time. And not close enough. Incremental progress on the U.S. debt ceiling talks. We're now just one week away from the Treasury's X date. Fitch taking action over America's AAA credit rating. Reaction from Washington in just a moment. Then we turn our attention overseas. A stock market economic disconnect in Europe's largest economy. Germany officially enters a technical recession with stocks there at one-year highs. Plus, a high-stakes meeting in Washington today that could ease or fan the flames of rising U.S.-China tensions. And then later, the Justice Department reportedly set to take action on the recent wave of short selling. It is Thursday, May the 25th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thanks for starting your day with us. Let's kick off the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures and a very mixed picture ahead of the open. Take a look right now. We're seeing the S&P, the Dow Jones, the Nasdaq showing some differences in how they're moving right now. An almost 2% difference when it comes to the Dow Jones and the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ up over 1.5%. The Dow Jones down about a quarter of a percent. Something we continue to watch. Obviously, that NVIDIA report having a big factor on that. We'll have much more NASDAQ futures in that pop in a moment. We're also checking the bond market this morning, as we always do. Let's begin with the benchmark 10-year. 3.75% elevated as we continue to go towards that so-called X date. We're also seeing upside moves when it comes to the two-year note. Yield now at 4.4%. Speaking of bonds, some whipsaw action on the short end of the curve with the one month right now very close to 6%. Earlier this morning, I believe it was just over 6%, but right now at 5.97. We're seeing the two month at 5.36. Even more action here on the three month above the two month at 5.51%. We're talking about the yield there. And we can't chart it for you, but some other short term UST bills, which are set to expire in the next week, obviously after that so called X date yielding above 7%. We're also looking at energy this morning, oil specifically. Looking at WTI, the U.S. benchmark, we're seeing some downside action when it comes to the oil market. WTI basically 73.5, down over 1%. Brent crude, the international benchmark, basically at 77.5, down 1%. Even more action in natural gas. Seen a lot of movement in natural gas. It has moved to the upside overall, back above 2 bucks, but this morning down a percent and a half. But let's get back to that NASDAQ pre-market pop. And shares of NVIDIA, they are set to soar. At these levels, it could add more than $185 billion to its market cap at the open. That's a number equal to the entire market cap of rival chip maker AMD. You're seeing the big upswing right here. 
after the report this morning up 24 percent. So driving NVIDIA higher today is what can be described as an outstanding Q1 report with earnings coming in 19 percent above estimates for its biggest EPS beat in five years. Sales also just stellar and coming in 10 percent above the median estimate and also its biggest beat in five years. NVIDIA says current quarter sales could top 11 billion dollars for the first time ever. And for some perspective, when we're talking about all this, NVIDIA has never seen quarterly revenues in excess of $8.3 billion. Fueling the record-breaking outlook is AI. What else? CEO Jensen Wong telling analysts, quote, we are significantly increasing our supply to meet surging demand. NVIDIA's pre-market move also helping shares of other chip makers and AI pure players. Take a look at the board here. We are seeing AMD up almost 9%. Taiwan Semi up almost 6%. C3AI, that's one of those pure play AI players, up almost 9%. Palantir Micron also moving higher. Um, Palantir CEO really boasting a lot about the AI capabilities of this company. We're going to probably talk more about this later on this hour. Okay, moving on. Back to the broader markets. And aside from the NVIDIA bright spot, down dip shaping up around the world. Late last night, Fitch put the United States AAA long-term currency issue default rating on negative watch. AAA is the highest rating. Fitch says it's due to the stalemate and the ongoing debt ceiling negotiations. This despite some apparent progress yesterday between Republican and Democrat negotiators. Global coverage this morning from the latest in Washington to the fallout all around the world. NBC's Bree Jackson is in Washington. J.P. Ong is covering the action in Asia from Singapore. And Arabile Goumede has the early trade in Europe. Bree, let's begin with you. Good morning. Good morning, Frank. Well, the race to avoid a government default is coming down to the wire. Negotiations between teams representing the White House and Congress continued for a third straight day on Wednesday. Now, spending remains the major sticking point. House Republicans demand significant cuts, and the White House has offered to freeze current spending levels, but will not cut further to protect social programs. And while House Speaker Kevin McCarthy remained optimistic about a deal, the financial markets are not sharing his confidence. On Wednesday, as you mentioned, FIT, uh, FIT ratings, one of the biggest three credit ratings agencies, placed the U.S.'s triple rate, AAA rating on rating watch negative. Now, this is not an official downgrade, but a warning that the agency could take that action. Fitch cited the partisan fighting as a major re- reason for issuing the warning. In a statement, the Treasury Department said that the warning underscores the need for swift bipartisan action by Congress. And Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen again warned of an early June deadline to avoid a default, saying she'll offer a more precise date to Congress soon. Frank. Our NBC's Bree Jackson live in Washington, D.C. Bree, great to see you. All right, turn now to Singapore. A lot of red arrows overnight on the heels of that news. J.P. Ong joins me now with much more. J.P., good evening. Over to you. Hey, good morning to you, Frank. And it was a tough day at the office for many Asian stocks today. It goes back to those concerns about the debt ceiling stateside. And when Fitch decides to cut the outlook on U.S. sovereign debt by to a, to, a, to a negative watch or bring them into a negative watch, well, suddenly the prospects of a potential default state side suddenly becomes a little bit more real for investors. And even investors here are trying to, uh, taking on some of those concerns, which did weigh on markets across the region. We start off in greater China. You'll see here that stocks also with concerns about a possible slowdown or a significant slowdown in the world's second largest economy also weighing on stocks from Shanghai to Shenzhen. The Hang Seng also falling below 19,000 today's session with tech stocks also 
weighing on Hong Kong markets. It also carried over to the likes of Australia and South Korea today. In fact, you saw the Kospi today actually take a step back, despite the fact that the Bank of Korea decided to keep rates there unchanged. They saw household savings shrink once again for many South Koreans, also underpinning a lack of economic confidence perhaps in that country. Now, there are a couple of bright spots, though, uh, in today's uh, very challenging session. In fact, one of the brightest spots was Japan. The Nikkei 225 snapped out of a two-day losing streak today, Frank, and returned to winning ways. There's a lot of confidence and a lot of optimism with regards to earnings. It also signs that finally Japanese households are starting to consume once again, which means there's some confidence over there. And also, the chip-related stocks here in Asia also taking a lot of confidence from that for very bullish forecast and very impressive earnings report from NVIDIA, from Samsung and Seoul, all the way down to Advantis and Tokyo Electric out in Tokyo. Frank, back to you. All right, that was our J.P. Ong live in Singapore. J.P., great to see you. Well, a rough session shaping up in Europe, and it's not just the U.S. credit rating rattling cages over there, but some breaking news out of Germany as well. Arabile Gumade joins us now live from London. Arabile. Yeah, good morning, Frank. You're quite right, right? That Germany recession story is quite uh, the interesting one and is the big one to really focus on. In fact, let's just start off there, right? Germany has entered that recession with the final GDP data showing the second quarterly decline in a row in the first three months of the year, GDP falling 0.3%. In that first quarter. So you've seen uh, the inability then for the market to shake off what was yesterday's negative trade filtering through onto today. If we take a look at that DAX, it is down a tenth of a percent. But just to say overall, we are uh, up from those lows that we actually had in the market just two hours away from the open that we had, of course, a little bit earlier today. Interesting that the DAX is also down two tenths of a percent following that inflation print yesterday. It does seem like the yields are also getting bumped up quite significantly. In fact, the UK tenure. Guild is also up around six basis points then today. On to the sectors very quickly. The story really has been around the tech counters. While the likes of retail and media are down, it is the tech counters, however, that are managing to get themselves a whole lot higher. More than 2% gain there, ASML, uh, ASMI as well, also managing to pick up some positive numbers. More than 7% gained when it comes to the likes of ASML, in fact, and that really bolstering trade out on that front. Whether that will continue across the day, We'll certainly look out for that. Frank. All right, Airbilly Gumade live in London. Airbilly, thank you very much. Always great to see you. All right, investors feeling just a bit more anxious over the 11th hour nature of the debt ceiling talks, at least on the fixed income side. The yield on the one-month T-bill spiking to right around 6% and yields on short-term notes maturing around that X date, briefly topping 7% late yesterday. That's according to TradeWeb. Treasury is also seeing action with yields on the 2 and the 10 hitting the highest level since the banking crisis back in March. Other safe havens such as gold and the yen edging lower now after initially jumping on that Fitch News. Joining me now to discuss, Robert Teeter, head of the Investment Policy and Strategy Group at Silvercrest Asset Management and Joanna Gallegos, co-founder of Bond Blocks. Great to have you both here. Thanks, Frank. So, Joanna, I'm going to come to you first. So I want to ask you, we've been talking about this all morning about Fitch possibly downgrading the U.S. credit rating. So right now, short-term bonds, they are attractive. We just mentioned the yield on the one month hitting almost 6% record levels. But at the same time, the possibility of default makes those shorter-term bonds less attractive. And the possibility of default also makes stocks less attractive. So give us a sense. uh, What strategy would you advise right now when it comes to bonds? And what's your outlook when it comes to rates on bonds? Yeah, so I think what we're telling investors and clients to remember is that this is a political situation that we've seen before as recently as 2011. 2013 and 2017. And an an agreement was reached in all three of those recent um, events around the debt ceiling. So 
we think that this will get resolved. And so for a base case, we want to remind um, investors that this will get resolved. Um, but for investors that want to avoid the volatility and the noise in the short term, we recommend extending duration in their treasury portfolios. So this doesn't mean going really far out on the curve. This means sort of um, matching what you've been seeing in the market, which is maybe moving out on the curve, maybe to the one, the two or the three year in treasury exposure. So that's one way to sort of think about moving through this. But let's remember, you know, um, the debt ceiling has been raised 40 times since 1952. So we will get through this. And some of those short term spikes in rates are really only reflecting Treasury bills that are going to mature next week. So it's a little bit hard. You really need to kind of sift through some of this. Yeah, I think a lot of people are trying to sift through it right now, Joanna. We're going to get more to the short end of the bond curve in a second. But, Robert, I want to come over to you. All this volatility, all this uncertainty, I'm sure a lot of your clients are asking you how they can protect their portfolios. You gave us some of your tips. I want to key in on one in particular. You say buy quality names. But you say when you're doing that, there's actually an opportunity cost. So what's the opportunity cost you're talking about? Well, the opportunity cost is related to the time horizon. So when we've seen these situations in the past, specifically 2011, whenever we had a resolution to the debt crisis, markets recovered relatively quickly. So there was a pretty significant drawdown, about 15 percent or so around that time horizon, that decline in the uh, debt ceiling in 2011. But it recovered pretty quickly. About three months in, most of the uh, losses had been recovered. And six months later, nearly all of them had been recovered. So there could be an opportunity cost here by being a bit too cautious. Uh, but it is important to focus on time horizon and sort of separating out that three-month window uh, and longer-term time horizons. So, Robert, we continue to tell the audience back in 2011, we had the debt ceiling scare. The markets declined by 17 percent. But right now, what we're seeing from NVIDIA, especially in mega cap tech, it just continues to move higher and higher. Do you see that same risk this time around for a big dip in the market if this, these negotiations continue and we get closer and closer to this X date without an actual deal? Well, that stress certainly is building, and we're seeing it in parts of the T-bill market, as you mentioned, around the maturity dates that are around the X date. Uh, but one of the things that's a bit different this time versus 2011 is there is this real dichotomy between time horizons. So you have the stress building in the near term over these negotiations and the X date and when the X date might actually fall. But on the other hand, you have some optimism brewing, in my mind, in terms of the economy has been pretty resilient. Inflation has been fading pretty quickly. And as you referenced, some of the advances in technology and AI specifically uh, bring some confidence that profit margins might improve in the future. So there is a bit of an issue here in terms of focusing on the day-to-day of the debt ceiling and the longer-term optimism that's starting to build. So, Joanna, back over to you. Speaking of day-to-day, there's some disagreement about when that actual X date is. Goldman Sachs came out with some research saying it would more likely be June 8th or June 9th basically a week after Treasury says and Janet Yellen says the X date would come. So when it comes to the short end of bonds, the shorter term bonds like the one month, as we mentioned, yield hitting about 6%, for investors, what's the real risk? Because as you mentioned, the debt ceiling has always been raised and the U.S. has always paid its debts. Well, there's a market for someone that wants to take that risk is a market for someone that wants to lay off that risk right, right. now. So I think that's what's important is that you, know, you can take action in these markets, whether you believe there really truly is a risk of of not of repayment from the U.S. government. I mean, the logic is that it probably isn't. When we looked at um, the very, very short end of some of these T-bills, what's priced into those um, yields that have been popping over the last two days is only about two days of, of payment risk. So when you kind of move it out even just another week, it looks more likely in the way that it's being priced that, you know, the debt will be paid. So Agreed that, you know, there there's a way to to stay safe in treasuries, um, whether you're in the three month to six month or even just moving out a little bit more to perform more comfort and a longer term view. Um, but I agree 
with um, what's been said previously is we really need to kind of zoom out a bit from what we're myopically focusing on within this month. All right. A lot to consider here. Robert Tita, Joanna Gallegos, great to have you both here. Thank you very much. Thank you. A lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, much more on what could be a record-breaking pre-market pop from NVIDIA and what it could mean for some of its biggest rivals. Plus, a high-stakes meeting in Washington tonight that could dictate the future of simmering U.S.-China tensions. We're live in Beijing with a preview. And then later, the consumer back in focus with some key reports out before the open today. Your retail playbook is coming up when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Brought to you by Eden Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eden Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at EdenVance.com slash CNBC. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment's objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at EdenVance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Keeping an eye on major hotspots around the world that could have huge implications for the global economy and for your investments. Today, it's D.C., where officials from China and the U.S., they're set to have their first cabinet-level meeting in Washington since President Biden took office. Our Eunice Yoon is standing by in Beijing with a look ahead at that sit-down. Eunice. Thanks, Frank. Well, China's Commerce Ministry just confirmed moments ago that its minister will be meeting with Commerce Secretary Gino Raimondo as well as the USTR's Catherine Tai during his visit in the U.S. over the next two days. Uh, the ministry also confirmed that Minister Wang Wentao will attend the APEC Trade Ministers Meeting in Detroit and that both sides are going to discuss what the ministry has described as issues of common concern. Uh, Chinese state media today has been quoting um, experts uh, to say that this means uh, possibly you increasing U.S. investment in China, um, ending U.S. tariffs on Chinese goods, and also uh, ending or easing at least U.S. export controls aimed at China's advanced IT industries. Now, the meetings come after President Biden had suggested at the G7 over the weekend that uh, he saw a thawing very shortly in U.S.-China ties, and that, Frank, has raised hopes that this could be the first step in many to increase the communication between the two sides and stabilize the relationship. All right. So interesting. There's a couple meetings here, uh, including one with obviously Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. Um, how much of, a, of this conversation will be focused on the banning of the chips, the blacklisting of Micron, um, that tension specifically over chips? 
Uh, that attention is definitely going to be on the agenda, just based on all the messaging that we are seeing uh, from Beijing as well as the U.S. Um, this is an issue that would be uh, pertinent to the discussions on commerce and trade. Uh, but the, in terms of wider discussions and an effort try to try to increase that level of communication, there is an expectation that we would see potentially, if things go well uh, with these discussions, uh, dis- uh, uh, further communications possibly in defense as well as um, with the state secretary as well. The defense area is one that people are watching very closely because Defense Secretary Austin is going to be coming out to Asia. And the hope from the U.S. side is that they will be able to secure a conversation on the sidelines of a conference with the Chinese defense minister. Yeah, China also a big holder of U.S. treasuries. I'd imagine that might also be on the agenda. Ayuna Xun, live in Beijing. Thank you very much. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, bidding big on Macau, our Emily Tan is standing by outside Las Vegas Sands' newest properties with a live look and an exclusive interview. Emily. Uh, thanks a lot, Frank. And I'm on the live red carpet live of the Londoner Macau. Uh, this, of course, is the newest addition from Las Vegas Sands in the city. Uh, this is the first integrated resort opening post-COVID. I got a chance to sit down with LVS chairman Rob Goldstein. We'll have more when Worldwide Exchange comes right back. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, a historic moment for global gambling giant Las Vegas Sands as it bets big on a historic rebound in one of the hottest regions for gaming in the entire world. CNBC's Emily Tan looking red carpet ready. She joins us now from Macau with a look and an exclusive interview. Emily. Uh, thanks a lot, Frank. And we are on the red carpet here. Londoner Macau getting unveiled. This becomes the first large-scale integrated resort to opening post-COVID. Uh, but in reality, it was opened in phases across the pandemic. Uh, but a, a really nice look today uh, at five hotels that got launched across 6,000 hotel rooms. Uh, Rob Goldstein, chairman and CEO of Las Vegas Sands. I got a chance to talk to him and I asked him about the recovery, what it's looked like, and how soon we can get back to those pre-pandemic levels? So 19, so you have to look at Macau. You've got to dissect what Macau is. I mean, pre-pandemic, you had a very large junket uh, segment, which is now gone. Um, but that segment created very high numbers in terms of revenues, but less uh, success in terms of bottom line, in terms of EBITDA or income. So we live in a new world today, which I don't know if you'll reach the same levels of top line. But I think you can exceed the EBITDA numbers of 19. I think that'll happen sometime, you know, I don't know if it's 23 or 24 or 25. Macau is a gaming hub that overtook Las Vegas in gross gaming revenues. Of course, uh, the pandemic changed all of that and has taken a toll. Uh, The government strategy now in granting the licenses to the operators here in the city is a shift towards non-gaming. So we're going to be watching how uh, the likes of Las Vegas Sands, uh, the likes of Wynn, uh, MGM are going to be doing that. 
right there on the red carpet. So great dress, by the way. I should be asking you, what are you wearing? Because you're definitely red carpet ready. But about the business, what other markets is LVS looking at outside of Macau? Well, they just got granted a 99-year lend lease, and uh, got, of course, I asked Rob about that, and uh, he says that they are they got something like 68 acres, and they're going to be building a resort there. It's going to be taking about a year before things uh, get moving, so early steps, really. Uh, New York is a lot like Macau, so they uh, are looking at expanding there. Uh, in terms of uh, markets outside of the United States, uh, they've taken a look at Thailand, uh, Japan, he says, they have pulled out of, and then I asked him whether or not, uh, after selling out all of their Las Vegas assets during the pandemic, whether or not he was willing to go back in there. And he said no markets are off limits. Frank. All right. Emily Tan, live in Macau. Emily, great stuff as always. Thank you. All right. Straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, a retail stock playbook ahead for several key reports that are coming out later this morning. And our next guest says things are set to get even worse when it comes to home improvement. Worldwide Exchange, a.k.a. Wex, will be back right after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and we're just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Rating risk. The first shoe drops as debt ceiling talks drag on with just one week to go until Treasury's ex-date ratings agency Fitch fires a warning shot. Arkela Tausche has the latest on the developments out of D.C. Shares of NVIDIA skyrocket, pushing its market cap near the $1 trillion mark as the chipmaker notches its biggest bottom line beat in years thanks to the AI boom and failure to launch. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' official entry into the 2024 presidential race using Twitter, facing a string of technical glitches. It is Thursday, May the 25th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thanks for starting your morning with us. Let's pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures and a dramatic rift between the Dow and the Nasdaq. You're seeing the numbers right here. So an almost 2% split in the difference between the Dow and the Nasdaq. You can see the Nasdaq up very strong this morning. The S&P also up fractionally as well. So NVIDIA, we were just talking about it, single-handedly responsible for the majority of those pre-market gains for the Nasdaq after that huge Q1 beat. You can see shares are up almost 25% this morning. Much more on that massive market cap move coming up later in the show. We're also watching the bond market this morning as we continue to get closer to that so-called X date. We're seeing the 10-year, the benchmark at 3.76. It continues to rise as we get closer and closer to June 1st. The two-year note at 4.4%. We've been saying this again as we get closer to that, two, that uh, X date. The two-year note yield has continued to rise. Um, it was below 4% just about a few weeks ago. Speaking of bonds, though, we want to dig a little bit more into bonds. Whipsaw action on the short end of the curve with the one-month yield right now very close to 6%. Before we started the show, it was just above 6%. Right now at 5.97%, something to watch there. The two-month at 5.36, the three-month at 5.51. And we can't chart it for you right now, but some other short-term UST bills, which are set to expire in the next week, they're actually yielding above 7%. We now turn our attention around the world. Red arrows across the board as Europe's trading day gets underway. Right now, looking at the CAC down fractionally, the FTSE down fraction as well. The DAX down about a quarter of a percent. And this morning, we were paying extra close attention to Germany. It's actually the DAX off of its lows. It was down a quarter of a percent just a moment ago. And despite the stock market trading just a tick, just a tick below its most recent 52-week high, new data in this morning showing Europe's second largest economy is actually in recession. 
with the latest read on German GDP coming in at negative 0.3 percent for the first three months of this year. Again, the German DAX in the red this morning, but actually kind of bouncing off its lows from just a short time ago. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's top stories, including potential action around short sellers by the U.S. government. Our Bertha Coombs is here with that and much, much more. Bertha, good morning. Hey, good morning, Frank. The Justice Department is reportedly looking to take steps over short selling in the coming months. That, according to Reuters, citing comments by the head of the DOJ's market integrity team in a speech yesterday. It's unclear what the moves might involve, but Reuters says the comments mark the first time a DOJ official has addressed the trading practice, which has faced fresh scrutiny in the wake of this year's regional bank turmoil. Reuters also reporting that Carl Icahn is set to win enough support from uh, Illumina shareholders to put one of his three nominees onto the company's board. Reuters citing a preliminary vote, but sources add that the vote has not been finalized and that Illumina shareholders can't change their votes until the company's annual shareholder meeting begins later today. Icon has accused Illumina's board of poor oversight, especially over its $7.1 billion acquisition of cancer test maker Grail. And a rocky start for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's entry into the 2024 presidential race. DeSantis tapping Elon Musk's Twitter for the big unveil, which was derailed by a host of technical glitches, including multiple crashes and audio echoing. Tech investor David Sachs, who was supposed to introduce the event, could at one point be heard saying, quote, the servers are melting, Frank. Our, our Bertha Coombs with those headlines. Bertha, thank you very much. Turning to Washington now and the latest developments around the debt ceiling talks. Fitch, late last night, putting the U.S. AAA long-term currency issuer default rating on negative watch. The agency citing the standoff over deal negotiations. Despite some fresh optimism from House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who also offered some tough talk to Democrats over those ongoing talks. Well, first of all, let me tell the American public, I am not going to give up. We're not going to default. We're going to solve this problem. I will stay with it until we can get it done. But let's be honest about this. We have to spend less than we spent last year. It is not my fault that the Democrats cannot give up on their spending. For the very latest, let's bring in Kayla Tausche in Washington. Kayla, good morning. Where do we stand this this morning with just a week to go until the Treasury's projected X date? Well, Frank, negotiators met for several hours near the White House yesterday. No breakthroughs to report as of yet as that X date comes ever nearer. And the new warning from Fitch sparking frustration and fear here in Washington. Republicans reiterating that this is why they wanted to begin negotiating in February. And a White House and Treasury statement saying uh, tonight's warning... Uh, meeting last night, underscores the need for swift bipartisan action by Congress to raise or suspend the debt limit and avoid a manufactured crisis for our economy. Yesterday, optimism was scanned with Democrats airing frustrations on bad messaging around the process and McCarthy's top negotiator saying we are past the responsible deadline for a deal. The major issue continues to be spending levels. It all comes down to You know why we're here. The Democrats in power spend too much money. We have our biggest debt ever. We have spent more money under the Democrat control than our expenditures in our 50-year history, uh, just on our average of GDP, but we're spending more than we've ever spent. And all of this while we're bringing in more money than at any other time. 
So even as Republicans say that top-line spending number is critical and needs to come down, when I talk to White House officials, Frank, they say they're focusing more on preserving specific programs rather than, you know, just taking a swipe at the budget overall. Now, those meetings yesterday took several hours. We're still waiting to hear from negotiators exactly what transpired during that time, whether they uh, moved the ball forward, made any progress, and what that means for this deadline. We'll see if we get that news today, Frank. Anticipation about the possibility of that news. So, Kayla, I want to ask you a question regarding the Treasury's X date. Wall Street apparently has not been sold on that hard deadline of June 1st. For example, economists at Santander U.S. Capital Markets say Treasury should be able to eke by in terms of servicing the debt through June 15th, even if no deal is struck. Goldman Sachs says, quote, is likely but far from guaranteed that the Treasury could make payments until June 8th or June 9th, a full week later than Janet Yellen's forecast. And then ICAP projects the Treasury General's uh, general account to dwindle significantly after June 5th. So we're showing the audience the dates. It's June 15th, June 8th or 9th, June 5th, depending on the estimate. What's your sense of this? Well, Frank, I'll add one more estimate to that list, and that's the Bipartisan Policy Center, which has mapped out exactly what bills Treasury needs to pay in the month of June, especially before those new tax revenues come in June 15th. And they estimate that the date could be anywhere between June 2nd to June 13th. So obviously June 2nd is right after June 1st, and it's earlier than any of the dates that you showed. And the reason why is because there are Social Security payments, there are payments to military families, there are other benefits that are set to go out. And I think that the Treasury Department knows that um, there would be a crisis of public opinion if it were to not be able to make those payments. Sure, Wall Street houses can say, pay your sovereign debt first, make sure that you don't anger other creditors, but I think there there are there's a real reluctance to try to anger the electorate as well. And also, um, there are federal salaries that are due around that time too. And the government would shut down if certain agencies went unpaid, if contractors went unpaid, and that's also an outcome that the government wants to avoid. So even though there's some prognostication that maybe the government could make it till um, some of those later dates before June 15th, Treasury is saying we've never been in this boat before, and we don't want this to be the first time. Our Kayla Talashi live in D.C. Kayla, thank you very much. All right, turning out to earnings, another batch of retail results out today, including Best Buy, Costco, and Dollar Tree. The key takeaway from the sector so far, relatively strong margins are driving earnings beats, even with tepid sales trends. Let's see if that trend can continue. Let's bring in Scott Mushkin, R5 Capital founder and CEO. Scott, good to see you as always. Good to see you, Frank. Thanks for having me. We just mentioned we have some earnings coming up. But I want to talk to you some about same-store sales, really key metric when it comes to retail. So far this earnings season, the only two notable beats when it comes to that have been Walmart and Urban Outfitters. What does that tell us about retail? I mean, I think retail's struggling, uh, and it's not surprising. You know, we had a lot of overbuying during the pandemic, um, and that's specifically been seen uh, in some of these hard, uh, hard goods sellers, Home Depot, Lowe's. We'll get that out of Best Buy uh, this morning. And then, you know, clearly also apparel. I mean, Urban Outfitters was the exception. We saw Target talk about apparel being weak. And so, you know, we had a tremendous amount of overbuying. We've actually quantified it. We think about $500 billion in extra spending was done during the pandemic um, on these kind of durable and uh, more cyclical types of goods that people bought, you know, staying at home. And we're going to work that off. In fact, you know, our data would say we were still overbuying into the fourth quarter, believe it or not. And we were still under purchasing services. So that's got to be worked off. And now you got to layer on the most likely outcome, we think, is a recession 
back half of 23 and into 24. So a pretty difficult environment for some of these uh, retailers. And Best Buy has a you know other issues too okay. going on that make Let, it. Uh, let's let's talk about Best Buy. Best Buy reports uh, just in just a short time later today. Um, shares are down one percent before that report. What's your price target on Best Buy? What are your expe- expectations from this earnings report? You know, we think the stock can trend into the low 60s. Um, Best Buy, and you mentioned it in your open, a lot of these companies are beating from margins. Best Buy's got a track record of beating, and I was just kind of, I was just reviewing what the street had done on Best Buy during the quarter, and, and earnings have just kind of ratcheted down all quarter. So, again, the company has a track record of beating a little bit. Um, of course, we're kind of playing that Wall Street game where numbers come down and come down and come down. But the bottom line is Best Buy's business model. Forget the cyclical situation here. Secularly, this business has some problems. 35% of the sales are now online. They continue to cut uh, employees at the store, store conditions. Our research, we do, our five is both a research and a consulting firm. So we're in a lot of stores. And um, the store conditions have continued to deteriorate. Some their okay. fault, cutting labor, some not their fault. All right. Certainly something to watch. Scott Mushkin, great to have you here. Appreciate the insight. Hey, thanks, Frank. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, NVIDIA closing in on the exclusive Trillion Dollar Club. Following its latest results, Christina Partsinevelis breaks down the stock's big surge this morning, the AI impact, and what it all means for one of its biggest competitors. But first, as we had to break, some of this morning's big money movers. Shares of Snowflake melting after the cloud company beat analyst expectations for Q1 earnings and revenue but offered disappointing guidance for the current quarter and trimmed its forecast for the full fiscal year. Despite the weaker-than-expected guidance, Snowflake CEO and Chairman Frank Slootman says he sees tremendous growth ahead. Shares of American Eagle Outfitters also not fitting quite right, sliding double digits after the retailer said it expects Q2 revenue to fall in the low single digits instead of the consensus 1.6% increase. The company reported a mixed quarter, with earnings per share coming in line with estimates, while revenue beat expectations. Shares are down 19%. A very different story for Elf Beauty, glamming up on a fiscal Q4 earnings beat and a raise to guidance for the year. Revenue rising nearly 80% due to strength across Elf's retail and e-commerce channels, with pricing, lower transportation costs, product mix, and cost savings helping its gross margins. Shares of Elf up almost 11% this morning. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet, where we check on a few of the morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks you likely own. We begin with J.P. Morgan upgrading VIP Shop, boosting its rating from neutral to overweight and its price target from $16 to $18 per share. JPM calling the e-commerce company the best defensive play in China over the next six months. City downgrading Dish Network's rating and price target from buy to neutral and from 18 bucks down to 8 bucks. It says the company needs capital and a clearer path for revenue share within the wireless space for its 5G ambitions. And the stock of the morning, we're talking about NVIDIA. Baird upgrading its rating to outperform and raising its price target to $475 from $300 on the back of earnings. And even with a bigger price target upgrade from Evercore, going from $320 to $500 per share. All right, let's stick with NVIDIA. And what is your biggest money mover of the day? Shares surging ahead of the open, not only on those upgrades, but on the back of an outstanding first quarter earnings report that pops set to add more than $180 billion to its market cap at the open. AI being cited as the big driver for the numbers with surging demand for the company's AI chips. Christina Partsinevelis joins me now with much more on this report. Christina. 
Yeah, you only named one analyst report, Frank, but I have about 18 in my email right now. It's incredible how everybody's revising their uh, their uh, estimates higher. So what we saw is at one point, over $220 billion was added to NVIDIA's market cap and extended hours trading. Like you said, now it's already above $180 billion. That's more than all of AMD's market cap of $174 billion. And as of last night, Salesforce, $209 billion. So the company, NVIDIA, is so confident about the transition from traditional CPU processors to generative AI that it's guiding for $11 billion in second quarter revenue. That's 53% or about $3.8 billion better than what analysts were anticipating. I actually spoke with CEO, CEO Jensen Wong after the analyst call and said that he told me actually that there's already a trillion dollar data center market and it already exists, but all of those traditional servers will require an upgrade in order to generate new content on its own. And that's where NVIDIA chips come into play. Something competitor Intel hasn't come close to offering, exemplified by the growing divide between Intel and NVIDIA's gross margins. In the last quarter, NVIDIA's adjusted gross margin moved up about 66%, while Intel's dropped to 38%. And for the current quarter going on right now, that gap is only expected to widen yet again, contributing to Intel's kind of meager stock reaction post the uh, NVIDIA earnings that we saw. But on the earnings call, CEO Jensen Wong admitted competition is fierce. He didn't name any names, but its closest competitors, AMD, is seeing its shares rise this morning, what, 8.5% in pre-market. It's launching a new AI-related chip later this year. There are other AI plays as well. Meta recently announced its AI training model. Broadcom is co-designing custom AI chips with Google. Google, Arista Networks, which really doesn't get a lot of coverage, a primary beneficiary of AI networking. But it was NVIDIA's results that stood out versus competitors. The biggest bottom line beat in five years, Frank. Yeah, huge beat right now. NVIDIA shares up 25%. You mentioned that gain in market cap. Looking at Intel right now, Intel only $120 billion market cap, just to kind of spell out how big that move was. So, Christina, number one, I saw you last night doing this excellent job. You mentioned how many times AI was mentioned in the call. I want to ask you about that. But also, (laughs) NVIDIA is anticipating a surge in data center demand. But what about the supply side? Could we see another repeat of that COVID shortage? Okay, so to your AI question, Frank, I'll admit that I stopped counting after 13 minutes. Within 13 minutes of the call, AI was mentioned over 32 times, and that was only from the CFO. Jensen Wong hadn't even spoken yet, so that's that bucket. To your second point, that is a big concern, right? If every single company right now is going to revamp and put all of their money, their CapEx spending, into buying new uh, graphics processing chips, that means that there's going to be a huge, uh, a huge amount of demand. So on the call, you had NVIDIA make sure that all the investors, all the analysts know that they're going to have enough supply into the second half of this year. They reiterated that several times. However, Jensen Wong is going to Taipei next week. Wonder why? TSMC is going to be building the chips. So this is really about whether it could secure all of uh, the production lines in advance so that it can maintain demand and keep up with demand. But really, a lot of it is relying on, on TSMC. All right, Christina, you're going to get asked later today. I know you don't know the number now about the times the AI was mentioned, but what's your over-under? I'll sit there and count it all. What do you think the over-under is? 50, 100? I mean, how many times? Oh, definitely over 50. Really? Definitely over 50. 
All right, I think you yeah. better count. I don't think it's going to be the first. Should we bet? I'm not, a, I'm not a gambler at all, but I don't think it's the last time oh, someone's going to ask right. you today. Christina Parsonell, this great okay. reporting as I'll always. check it out. Great to see you. Thank you. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word every investor needs to know today, plus NVIDIA's results helping the NASDAQ pre-market. You can see the NASDAQ up almost 2% in the pre-market as investors also grapple with the overhang of the debt ceiling talks. But our next guest says it still might be time for investors to buckle up. She's going to tell you why. And a reminder, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And right now, the best investment you can make is sign up for CNBC Pro with a very special offer to get exclusive stop, stock tips and insight. Just go to this QR code on your screen, or I'm going to try to read this. Just go to cnbc.com slash pro. Oh, it was easy this time. All right, or scan the QR code. <laughs> Worldwide Exchange, coming back in a moment. Gear up for the trading day ahead. Let's get another check on futures on the back of those latest developments in the debt ceiling negotiations and shares of NVIDIA taking off on earnings. Looking at the futures right now, we're seeing the Nasdaq up almost 2 percent, the Dow down fractionally, the S&P up over a half a percent. For much more, let's bring in Lizzie Evans, managing partner at Evans May Wealth. Lizzie, always great to see you. Good morning, Frank. All right, let's start with the big stock story of the morning, NVIDIA. Um, does it change your opinion at all about mega cap tech? A lot of people thought the rally may be coming to an end. Do you think it has more room to run? I do. I think it has more room to run. I think the big AI mega cap tech is is here to stay. NASDAQ's up 20% year to date. But I think it, you want to be selective, but there's companies to own. And AI, we are such early stages of, of generative AI. Let's talk portfolio protection or the opportunities you may see right now. Do you have a pick right now that you would put money in today, even with all the uncertainty around the debt ceiling? Yeah, I think I think that there's um, structured products or market-linked investments that are super interesting in today's environment. So market-linked investments use options to provide some downside protection while still allowing participation on the upside. So those investments change every month based on options pricing. Um, so if you if you tell a client, look, S&P is up 9% year to date. How would you like to invest in the S&P 500? Take 10% uh, downside protection. So a year from now, if the market's down 15, you're down five, they t- they've taken the first 10% of downside and you still participate in the upside up to a cap of let's say 18%. That's pretty attractive, particularly okay. if we're if we continue to be in somewhat of a sideways trading environment. All right. We do have to talk about the debt ceiling. I know you're keeping your eye on it. And on that note, I want to ask you, what is your WEX word of the day? Well, Frank, I am a Hoosier girl from Indiana. And this weekend we have the greatest spectacle in racing, the Indianapolis 500. So think about that word spectacle. When I think about what is happening in Washington, I cannot think of a better way to describe that is the greatest spectacle in politicking. It is absolutely insane to me that we always wait until the 11th hour and play this game of chicken. And in this case, spectacle is not meant in a good light. Yeah, I mean, just to keep your analogy going, we are racing towards the finish line. Um, Really quick before we let you go, Lizzie, do you have a stock pick for us today? I do. Um, so you, you talked NVIDIA. Uh, we like Palo Alto. So look at, take a look at Palo Alto Networks. 
Um, they had a super strong quarter. They've raised, they, they have great earnings guidance. They've mm-hmm. raised on revenue. Um, there's upside on margins. And when we talk about generative AI, um, not only will, as machines are computing, will that increase the need for cybersecurity, but Lizzie, they're using. I gotta leave you on that point. I'm sorry to cut you off. The Palo Alto Networks up almost a percent in the pre-market on the AI trade. Lizzie Evans, great to see you as always. Great to see all of you. Looking at the futures right now, the Nasdaq up almost 2%. That does it for us. Squawk Box up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.